Rumor has it there is a secret base hidden underneath the Archelaus. So have you ever been in a spaceship? Don't try this at home. Secrets of Area 51 Reveal. I'm from Series A, not Series B. Who are you, huh? Yeah, hey, Mama. It's time to open your eyes, open your mind, and shift your paradigm. You're tuned in to another episode of All Night with the Living Geek, a podcast in which we investigate and discuss high strangeness and the weird world in which we live. I'm your host, Taylor, and across the virtual desk for me tonight is my brother, Seb. Seb, how you doing? Good evening. I'm doing great. How are you? <laughs> I was like, wow, it's the Halloween episode again. What, what's going on? <laughs> oh, my. Speaking of Halloween, you know what I've been doing? Yes. Uh, scaring little kids? I got to tell you, tomorrow is the big day. It is the Cassandra Peterson auction. Oh, yes. I saw you posting about that. Yeah. Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, is selling off all her swag. And it's amazing. Um, a lot of bargains still to be had. Uh I think my favorite item is a piece of wardrobe she wore in 1985's Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Okay. But I think the weirdest thing is a hammer that she used when she rang the bell to either open or close the New York Stock Exchange. (laughs) That's interesting. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's like, there's this weird framed photo of her with like all the Wall Street bigwigs and she's like in her Elvira garb and it's just like really weird, but I love it. Oh, Oh boy! Uh, oh boy! Well, but, uh, for those, yeah, go ahead. Oh no, no, no! What, what, what's new with you? How, how have you been? Oh, I, I've been good. Uh, life's been busy. Is uh, folks, as you can see, we've we've actually had our first instance of not dropping an episode on the first of the month. Thank you, mm. Thanksgiving. Um, I don't know. It's it's the holidays. I mean, I've got a feeling our uh, our January episode might hit a similar uh, jostle mm. in terms of scheduling. Mm-hmm. Um, everything's landing toward Fridays and Saturdays this year. So mm-hmm. we'll see what we can make happen for uh, our next episode. But thank you for being patient in this episode. Um, Seb, we're doing good over here. I mean, obviously, you know, we've had Thanksgiving, the holidays. It was good to see you and have you over. Yeah. Um, I'm happy to say, you know, that the, the kids now are, uh, they've got both their COVID shots. So that's making us really happy. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I don't know. Other than that, we're just, we're barreling toward the end of 2021 and I'm not even sure, sure I've processed 2020 yet. Mm. It's, it's, it's been a tough year and I'm, I'm going to be excited to see oh, maybe 2022 will be a little, little happier, a little brighter. Uh, here's hoping, or, you know, we'll have that planet sized transformer of a, of a COVID variant uh, bearing <laughs> down on us. Oh wait, no, that, that's, that's Unicron. <laughs> Not Omicron. Common mistake. I keep, I keep getting those two mixed up. One sounds like Orson Welles. One is a horrible pandemic disease. Oh, jeez. <sighs> oh, well. Jeez. I don't know what to tell you, man. Have you, Seb, had anything uh, particularly weird happen this past month? Well, the, the, the main thing was uh, when Mom and I were driving home from your house for after we had our Thanksgiving meal with you, which was the day after Thanksgiving, so I guess Friday. Right. Um, yeah. We... We mom and mom was seeing unusual lights in the sky, and we actually diverted our route home to drive around and see if we could get a better look at them. Um, oh, it was now, what now? What did yeah. it look? What did it look like? Okay, so 
Um, she says it looked like three to four bars of small lights in a straight line. And um, she, because I asked her to send me an email with a, t- with a, you know, kind of like a report I could give in tonight's episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and what she did was she, it's really fascinating. She, she typed two, um, I guess, asterisk keys, two stars. Mm-hmm. So she typed two and then the line below that had five in a row. And then the line below that had three in a row, and the line below that had two in a row, and the line below that had one in a row. So um, it it was a weird. It was very closely grouped together. So it was multiple hmm. lights in a weird shape, and it was it was weird because we saw it or she saw it um, while we were driving, I guess, south on eight eighty near the exit for the Alameda. Um, okay. And we ended up getting off the next exit and pulling off uh, into some of those neighborhoods with the big houses. Um, yes. And of course, you know, I pull off onto the street with the biggest trees, so I couldn't really see anything. I did I, <laughs> I did at one point think I saw it, um, and it was weird because it was not like a usual flight pattern. It was kind of going over the Santa Cruz Mountain. But um, hmm. it, it looked it looked incredibly underwhelming. So if it was, you know, if, big if, if it was some sort of unidentified flying object, it was definitely like the alien's version of a, oh, I don't know, what's a crummy car? A Yugo? A Geo? Like some sort of... Hey. You know, really Pontiac lame. Aztec. Yeah, really lame spaceship. So, um, but that was fun. It was a little. Uh, it was nice. Little, Interesting. Little so, tree. so was it was it a long string of uh, lights? Um. Or was it a bunch of separate lights in a shape? I'm I'm confused by the description. So it was it was three to four bars of small lights in a straight line. Three that to were four closely grouped together. Bars. Yeah. Of straight lights in a line. I wonder if that was a Starlink satellite train yeah i don't know i don't know um it was it was definitely weird um at one point we were discussing whether or not it was just a star or like venus that her eyeglasses were kind of smudged maybe um which is probably the most likely explanation and the least (laughs) least satisfying explanation in my opinion right Right. Um, but hey it was fun nonetheless you know uh, interesting. Yeah. Now, is there anything weird going on this month for you? Um, not not particularly weird. I've I've kind of um I've kind of doing started doing a little bit of reading on um Discordianism. Oh, what's that? Um, it is. I don't even really know how to easily describe it. Um, but it is it is kind of a embracing of the chaos and at times the absurdity of life okay um and um one of the important numbers as it were in discordianism is the number 23 um and so soon after kind of starting to read stuff like the principia discordia uh and such um i started now this i think is not so much a synchronicity as uh, you know, that same effect that you get when you buy a new car and suddenly you see that type of car everywhere. Ah, okay. Um, but like literally like the same afternoon that I really kind of started deep diving into this, um, I'm listening to the music as I go to pick up uh, my son from school. And I'm like, you know, it was a mild day. So I had the windows down. I'm like, oops, I better turn the radio down now that I'm like parked by classrooms. So I just grab the knob and I, you know, twist it to turn it down well i Mm -hmm. turn it down to 23 and i kind of go oh what and i like i I look back at the radio and the the time on the song was one minute 22 seconds which if you add them together it's 23 and i was kind of like okay okay i'm listening i'm listening i'm paying attention um so you just weird weird stuff like that you know so it's kind of like a philosophy maybe 
sort of. Okay. Yeah. I don't, it's not, I I would definitely not, I would not call it any sort of organized religion. It's definitely a sort of disorganized religion mm, okay. uh, in which apparently everyone can be a pope if they want to. Oh, hey, there you go. So, uh, yeah, uh, one of, actually, you would know one of the people they, they celebrate uh, most is Emperor Norton I. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. Well, you know, they, they could do worse, I guess. Yeah. Fascinating. <laughs> so, yeah. Nothing, nothing really all that weird. Just one of those kind of like, you know, started studying into something and learning more about it and then suddenly start seeing elements of it popping up everywhere. Actually, I mean, I did start seeing a lot of like, uh, because the the Greek goddess of chaos is Eris, oh. right? Uh, and it's, and it's, it's the goddess at the center of Discordianism. Um, but like within a few days... Like, I started seeing all sorts of, like, you know, uh, uh, Greek god and goddess references tied to her specifically popping up, like, in social media posts and stuff. And I'm like, okay, I get it. I'm paying attention. I see what's going on. Okay, this is kind of weird. This is kind of funny, because right now, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we're recording on the evening of December 3rd. So I'm looking in the corner of my... My, my display on my screen and it's 12 slash 3 so I'm seeing the two, the two three right there you know? uh, let's see uh huh yeah now it's starting to hit me too man well we are going to hit everybody uh, <laughs> with some interesting uh, stuff tonight because I know this is a topic that I know, I know Seb you've really been wanting to talk about for a while um, it, it, is, it is one that I have spent much of the month kind of um, traveling down the washboard roads of, um, I don't know, trying to decide how I feel about our topic tonight. Because uh, we are talking about Mr. Bob Lazar. Right. How yes. Bizarre. Exactly. Sorry, I will make as few OMC references as possible. No, go right ahead. Uh, we're not the first to make that reference either. <laughs> I, have, I have heard many people take uh, that great song, How Bizarre, and turn it into Bob Lazar, which is well, pretty funny. Well, yeah, yeah, you're exactly right, ladies and gentlemen. We are returning to Lincoln County, Nevada, uh, the site of our second episode, kind of full circle. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's for those of you who may be. Um, slightly familiar with UFO lore and everything. Uh, you may be familiar with Bob Lazar. Some of you may be listening tonight have no idea who we're talking about, and hopefully we'll fill in some of the gaps. Um, because on May 15th, 1989, a 30-year-old man named Robert Scott Lazar appeared on Las Vegas TV station KLAS, claiming that he had been employed by the U.S. government to help back-engineer an extraterrestrial spacecraft at a secret Nevada facility called S-4. And during the past 30-plus years, Lazar has stood by his story, and his claims and biography have been the subject of dozens of television documentaries, books, news reports, and podcasts. Uh, One of the few points that both skeptics and believers agree on is that Lazar's story helped to propel the secret U.S. base called Area 51 to the public's attention, solidifying its place in American popular culture. And while many researchers argue again and again over details relating to Lazar's educational background and employment history, several intriguing clues appear to have been glossed over by many commentators. Can any of these bits of evidence help shed light on Lazar and his claims? (laughs) Dun-dun-dun. We always need a good dun-dun-dun. Exactly. So, so Seb, let me ask you this. Before... Before diving into research mm-hmm. for this month's episode and and learning more about Lazar's story, mm. um, so let's say everything that you knew up until the point that we said, "Hey, let's do this as a topic," uh-huh. 
what was your take? Like, like, what was your gut reaction? Like, like, do you, do you do, how much of it do you believe? How much of it do you disbelieve? Of, of Where Le- were you on that spectrum? Of, Le- of Lazar's story? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, I guess to preface it, um, I've got to say that, you know, I am a huge fan of uh, cheesy UFO television documentaries. Um, this is true. Especially ones from the 80s and 90s from my child, our childhood, you know. Um, anytime that Bob Lazar popped up as a talking head in one of them, I always kind of piqued my interest because I found his story so interesting. Um, there's, there's a couple of different ways I can answer that question. I mean, one of them is to say that I think one of the reasons I'm so attracted to his story, and maybe other people are too, is because he claims to provide information that is really unknowable. I mean, if I see it, a legitimate UFO in the sky, I mean, sure, it's amazing. Maybe I take a picture of it, but I have no idea what it looks like on the inside. I have no idea mm-hmm. you know, um, what, what, what planet, quote-unquote, it came from. Lazark's story, if taken at face value, answers those questions and answers them in a way that is sort of like quote-unquote nuts and bolts as opposed to maybe a contactee claiming to have answers like that that have been received through like spirit writing or something right Um, i think that's a huge part of why his story is so well received in some circles what do i believe okay um i believe that he actually worked out there um i don't know if i believe that he actually worked on an alien vehicle or any sort of vehicle really i mean Mm -hmm. for all i know he might have worked out there as a janitor you know what i'm saying yeah um but um i i what what i believe now is different than what i believed when i started researching for the tides episode i guess well and that's that's the point i'm trying to make i'm trying to set i'm trying to set a benchmark of where were we before we started the research and then we'll get to where we are right after the research right yeah so for for me before the research um i i did not believe this the there's some people that say oh he's had trouble proving his academic background the universities attended or even his employment history because the government like tried to erase all that data data either because he was super undercover got the security clearance or because they were trying to make him like a non-person you know Mm -hmm. i definitely didn't believe any of that i always kind of believed that it was really hard to find proof of the master's degrees he claimed he received because he actually didn't receive any master's degrees you know and yeah potentially had just been you know um, uh, making his job application read better than what it really was so he could get a cool job. Which, granted, is probably something that happens millions of times a day. I mean, there's lots of people that lie about their background to get a good job, you know? So I yep. don't think that that's yep. super unusual. Um, how about you? What, what, are you? what are some of your thoughts? You know, I'll be honest. I mean, I... I love the story. It, mm-hmm. it, it is definitely a case of I want to believe. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I want to believe that you know we have recovered craft and there are people working on it and uh-huh. you know it it is a it is a great story um and i've always been struck by how how much his story doesn't really change right very consistent um, over the decades. very consistent very calm i mean i've i've listened to um multiple interviews that he's done um either on art bell or billy goodman and when like people come call in to ask questions and they're like they're like oh uh uh, what do you think the reticulum's breakfast was Uh and he'd be like 
I have no idea. I, I, yeah. I don't really, I'm not concerned with the culture. I was concerned with the propulsion mechanism of their craft. Like he wouldn't, he, he wouldn't embellish and, and, and speculate on stuff that he didn't know about, mm-hmm. which is something I feel like we do get with a lot of experiencers, Uh, uh right? They will, um, you know, they'll have an experience, they'll tell a story, they'll, it'll get a reaction and they're like, oh, I like this reaction. And then, and then, and then things start getting embellished. I don't really feel like we get a lot of embellishment Uh um, from Lazar himself. Now, some of the people around him, that's another issue, but, you know, Uh, uh it is, and, and from, from day one, you know, knowing of his story i'm like okay like this part of it makes sense and then i get to a part where i'm like okay this doesn't add up now Mm. and then and then i come at it from another direction like okay well this part of it makes sense and then Mm -hmm. i get to another part and i was like okay but this doesn't add up it's it's interesting because he i remember seeing him all over the tv in the mid to early 90s on all these ufo Mm -hmm. shows and stuff like that and then it's like I never saw him again for a long time, and then a couple of years ago, you tuned me into a, a documentary that came out about his life made by right. uh, what's his name? Jeremy Curbs. Yes, that, Jer- guy. that guy. Or or is I've heard him called Jeremy Four Names. Uh, okay. Um, all right. Just because it's it's what it, Jeremy what Kenyon Lockyer Corbell. Ah, okay, right. So Jeremy Four Names. Right. Um, and I remember you, you, I got an email from you one day and it was like, Hey, you should check out this documentary. And it was mm-hmm. like, Whoa, it's, it's that guy from my childhood. You know, it was, who's still alive. And you still, you know, tell these stories and stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and in that, the story is still pretty much the same. The, 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 the one element of that documentary that stuck out the most for me was this really weird part where apparently at some point in the nineties, when Lozar was relating his story, he described a weird device they had at Area 51 that was like, um, you see in the movies, people use these retinal scanners to make sure that you really are who you say you are before you get into a right. secure facility. They had right. they had a similar machine that was even more bizarre where it measured the the length of the bones in your hand somehow. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. I, and, um, and uh, Corb- there's this one part in the documentary where Corbell actually shows Lazar a photo of one of these machines that had been, I guess, declassified, you know, years after Lazar was talking about them. Yeah, was it like Nellis somewhere or something, if I remember yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, and I, that was a really interesting part. I thought that was kind of... Uh, but, you know, there's um, there's a number of things for all of the documentaries that I've, I've seen and maybe you've seen and maybe some of our listeners have seen. There's, there's a lot of things that kind of people talk about over and over again, like the lore of Bob Lazar. Um, mm-hmm. And there's, there's a handful of things that I've never seen talked about in these documentaries. Although I'm sure they're talked about in internet chat forums and some of the books that I've never read. So I don't want to say that any of the stuff <laughs> we're going to talk about tonight is like, um, we're like we're breaking any news or anything like that. But I definitely wanted to do kind of like a deep dive, a deep cut on some of these weird little like uh, threads to his story, which I've never been satisfied with. And actually at this point, I probably should say I want to apologize to you and to our listeners because I had hoped for tonight's episode to feature our very first actual interview with a guest for the podcast um, yeah i did reach out to to some individuals um and unfortunately i never heard back from them so i kind of failed in, in my effort on that um because lazar was always very upfront about the fact that his boss at s4 was a guy named 
Dennis Mariani, who actually passed away. Um, he lived just a few miles away from where I live now, and he passed away right around the time I moved up here. Um, and I managed to trace his family using his obituary on Facebook and stuff like that. Um, so I know exactly who they are, where they live, what what their jobs are, but none of them, uh, you know, and, and, you know, rightly so, maybe, you know, Hypothetically, if Lazar was a complete wacko and none of his stories are true, maybe they have, don't want to have anything to do with this drama. But it would have mm-hmm. been, been, I would have been really excited to uh, <laughs> to be able to ask them about what their father was like or their you know brother or whatever. You know. Um, yeah, definitely. And oh. and just 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 before we kind of um, uh, set Corbell's movie aside, I have to admit, and I look, you know regardless of regardless of the truth of everything i mean the the myth and the legend that the bob lazar story has become definitely influenced me enough to um buy one of the movie posters uh off um the uh uh off bob lazar's uh company's site Mm. and for an extra couple of bucks he would sign it so i have got a movie poster with bob lazar's autograph on it oh no way that's awesome yeah yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Oh, nice. So, you know, whether it's true or not, there is no denying that there is a place in terms of, you know, UFO pop culture for him. And yeah, I've got that little piece. <laughs> totally. Nice. Well, All right. So what sort of stuff do you yeah, want to dive into? Because you've the, got some interesting stuff here. Yeah. The first thing I want to talk about is something called the Zeta Reticula, Reticuli 2 Corporation. The Zeta Rolls off the tongue so well. So well, right, exactly. Um, these these are articles of incorporation for a business filed with the Nevada Secretary of State's office. Um, I, I don't claim to have discovered these documents. Ours isn't even the first podcast to look at them. But this is something that I am so intrigued by because I've never seen a television documentary that even mentions the fact that this corporation existed. Um, yeah, this is not something I was familiar with. Yeah, totally. Um, the corporation is named after a star in the constellation of Reticulum. <laughs> Reticulum. Um, <is> that, <laughs> Reticulum, it damn near killed him. Is Reticulum a Greek god, by the way? Like, I don't think so. Okay, all right, well. Um, so according to Lazar, Zeta Reticuli 2, the star is orbited by the home planet of the aliens who piloted the flying saucer that he worked on. And these documents, so they're um, they're signed, the articles of incorporation are signed by um, Bob Lazar. Um, another one of the signature signatories is his good friend Gene Huff. Um, okay. And the documents, they're dated January 24th, 1990. This is interesting because that was only about two months after Lazar's first TV interview where he actually used his real name. That was back on November 10th, 1989. So, right. So just for, for the folks listening at home, if they're not familiar... So Bob Lazar, part of his story was that he you know, worked at this secret facility and then for various reasons uh, decided to go to appear on the news um, with a silhouette and a alias and tell what he knew um and then several months later again appeared on the news station but this time he showed his face and used his real name um so november 10th 1989 the members of the public at large know what he looks like knows what his name is his real name and only about two months later these corporate 
documents are filed with the government. And what was this corporation? It's difficult to know because the documents don't say what the purpose of the government, the, the company was. Um, there's There was an Area 51 researcher by the name of Glenn Campbell. Right. He, he, spe- he speculated, uh, he had a really interesting theory because one of the other names on the Articles of Incorporation is a guy named Robert Bigelow. Bobby and, Bigelow. Right. Now, like us, he has an interest in all things paranormal, but unlike us, he owns the hotel chain budget, budget suites of America and has an estimated debt worth of $700 million. Um, yeah, definitely not like us. <laughs> right. Uh, the name Robert Bigelow first showed up on my, I guess, my radar screen several years ago. Um, according to Wikipedia, he had purchased, previously purchased the famous Skinwalker Ranch, a 480-acre yep. cattle ranch located in Utah that some believe is the site of an interdimensional doorway used by alien shapeshifters. Um, and Bigelow also urged Senator, Henny, Her- Senator Harry Reid to initiate what became the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, a government study which operated from 2007 to 2012, tasked with the study of UFOs. So, interesting dude, interesting dude. So, he, not only is Bob Lazar's name on these documents, but Robert Bigelow's signature's on it. Too. And actually, the address for the, the corporation is uh, is one of uh, Bigelow's um, office complexes in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm thinking, it's like, okay, what the heck is going on here? There's a couple of different ideas floating. There's an Area 51 researcher named Glenn Campbell, and he speculates that the corporation was, quote, a fraud for Bigelow funding. Czar made up the story, the UFO story, on his own basis, on his own, based on the, on his own, oh, hold on. Lazar made up the story on his own, based on his own significant technical knowledge and his peripheral work with a contractor on the Nellis Range and the prior Area 51 alien claims of John Lear, uh, a Lazar friend. What was Lazar's motivation? Money. Under this theory, Lazar cooked up the story about UFOs to obtain funding from Las Vegas philanthropist Robert Bigelow, who is known to sponsor far-out projects. The registration for the Zeta Reticuli 2 Corporation is a public record at the Nevada Department of State, which registers corporations. Lazar and Bigelow are listed as author. As the story goes, Lazar not only worked with Element 115, we'll get back to that, Mm -hmm. he managed to smuggle some of it out, and the corporation was somehow intended to test or exploit it. Lazar himself had no idea his story would get so big. He was just about to pull off a modest con, according to the series, almost from the day the story was broadcast, and he was publicly identified, and he identified, and was identified publicly as the source, Lazar has been trying to put the brakes on it, unquote. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not claiming, and our podcast is not claiming that Bob Lazar is a fraud person by any means. This is just what one of the um, big researchers on Area 51 speculates might be the idea behind these documents. So yeah. basically, the idea is there are no UFOs. Lazar cooks up the story and then tries to get this big rich guy who's interested in UFOs interested enough to give him some money basically. Um, and, and, and and that mentions that, that kind of gets around to this thing this idea element 115 which according to Lazar is essentially the fuel source that powers uh, alien spacecrafts um, and in fact there's a little audio clip uh, that we hopefully maybe we can listen to about Lazar talking about element 115 so uh, maybe we can take a listen to that yeah yeah let's take a listen it uses a super heavy element, element 115, uh, as it would appear on the periodic chart. None has yet been synthesized on Earth. Um, it's my opinion that this occurs naturally in, in certain star systems. This element is bombarded in a, an extremely small accelerator. Uh, the element under bombardment uh, undergoes spontaneous fission and produces 
uh, antimatter particles. These are interacted with a gaseous matter target and by means of a 100% efficient uh, thermoelectric device is converted uh, into electricity. And there you go. What do you think, Seb? It's, 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 it's an interesting idea. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting because at the time in 1989 when Lazar came out of the woodwork, as far as I know, Element 115 didn't exist, but it Correct. has in the, in, the, in the past 30 years actually been synthesized in laboratories. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of interesting. Um, uh, we mentioned earlier John Lear, who was a friend of Bob Lazar, and he's a famous aviation uh, guru. His, his father, I believe, invented the famous Learjet private plane. Um, mm-hmm. And in at least one television documentary, <laughs> Lazar was really upfront about the fact that he and Lazar stole some of Element 115 from S4. Um, and maybe we could take a listen to that clip really quickly. Yeah, yeah, here's John talking about it. We were able uh, to steal or otherwise obtain a piece of the fuel that powers uh, the saucers. Um, it was element 115. Uh, it's a stable element, and we did several experiments uh, with this. We also videotaped these experiments. Uh, the experiment was to prove the high gravitational attraction, the, the heaviness of the element, and other things. Um, we proved it to ourselves. Unfortunately, whoever is in charge of the cover-up stole it back. Yeah, John Lear. I'm. What do you think? Do you have any thoughts on John Lear? I, I it, it's tough to say because I, I have this kind of gut feeling that, um, you know, Lear and Huff, you know, they've they've got like more skin in the game. Then I think then I feel like Lazar does, mm. right? They 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 have an angle. They're they're trying to you know promote um, a certain agenda. Mm. I feel like you know, and and I think that they're kind of you know grabbing onto Bob Lazar and 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 kind of like getting in with him to kind mm. of further that purpose. I know I'm, I'm making this all sound really vague and it's not because I'm trying to avoid saying anything. It's like, I literally, it is just a gut feeling that I'm kind of forming based on having listened to many interviews. There was even, um, uh, there were a handful of, um, what was this? Like, uh, like the UFO hour, like Gene Huff was doing like some sort of like radio bit Mm-hmm. for a while and and in the course of research i came across three different programs that had huff uh and lazar or huff and Lear and lazar all kind of talking about stuff um and and i didn't i didn't glean anything really new from it if if anything they were kind of like almost argumentative with each other like they they weren't on the same page when they were talking about stuff and they were disagreeing about a lot of things and so I don't know. It just kind of gave me this vibe that you know, it's not like it's not like they were all in in syncopation together with I, their ideas and 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 their goals and stuff. Sure, sure. I I think that for me personally, and maybe for some others, I think that the biggest significance of of John Lear and Gene Huff and a few others in the whole Bob Lazar story is just the fact that apparently before Le- uh, Lazar came out to the public with his story, he was leading his friends out to the desert on specific nights of the week to witness these lights in the sky um which and they you know on some occasions they videotaped it and whatnot um and i think that that's probably the strong in my mind that's like the strongest piece of evidence in lazar's favor because 
how you know if he wasn't really working some regard on a secret project out there how would he know what nights and at what time these weird lights would show up in the sky do you know what i mean yeah no i completely agree yeah yeah that's like for me like this like one of the strongest like things in his favor um lear himself here's oh go ahead i was just gonna say here's one of the weird things with the the trips that they would make out to the desert to to watch these test flights mm. um and and again whether they were actual ufos or not i i, I can't say mm. you know you you it was a light in the sky so i guess technically unidentified mm-hmm. um but um if i remember correctly they would always be on wednesday nights and mm. just just for strange coincidence um in john keel's research uh, of UFO sightings, he found that most of them happen on Wednesdays. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Now, I don't think it necessarily connects to, like, knowing when a, uh, you know, government is going to test fly something. Mm-hmm. But it's just one of those, like, huh, just happens to also be Wednesday. Yeah, totally. Huh. Go fig. Um, one interesting thing I did find online is a, apparently there was an internet posting made by John Lear uh, concerning this Zeta Reticuli 2 Corporation. Okay. Um, and that kind of differed from, from Glenn Campbell's view. Uh, Lear wrote, quote, When Bob Bigelow got interested in UFOs in 1989, he hired Bob Lazar as his chief scientist, provided him with a lab, computers, and anything else Bob required. I can't remember the exact name of the company, but it was something like Zeta Reticuli Enterprise, something like that. Well, things went along okay for about a month, but it seemed like Bob wanted to pursue a lot of other interests in, exic- in addition to Zeta Reticuli Enterprise and wasn't able, wasn't at the lab eight hours a day. It seems that Bigelow wanted to drop in at any time at the lab during normal workday and see what Bob was working. So the endeavor came to a friendly halt and Bigelow began looking for other places to put his millions and millions of dollars he had to blow on his all consumer <laughs> um, So either way, I mean, it's definitely a interesting and bizarre and early intersection of these two major figures, at least in UFO studies today. I mean, you have the czar who's still on the scene and people continue to argue about him pro or con and then you have bob bigelow who's basically egging on you know harry reed to get the government back into the business of investigating flying saucers yeah um, and it just seems like it 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 frustrates me so much that this intersection of these two major figures like um if there were like a 90 minute television documentary on the history of the zeta reticuli 2 corporation that would be at the very top of my view list i am just fascinated i would love to learn more i would love to know what the business was all about um i would love to see if any of the stock shares that they issued like that would be like the most amazing thing to track down and like frame on your wall basically like a share of stock do we do we do we even know that it ever went public um it didn't go public but there were stocks issued to okay they, like most of the, I think like Gene Huff, Lazar, and Bigelow own most of the shares of the stock. Gotcha. So, well, um, I, I'll say this because I, one of the things that I did this past month was I actually read Bob Lazar's autobiography. Oh, wow. So what did you think? Um, well, Zeta Reticuli 2 does not come up at all. Mm, okay. Uh, it's just, it's, it's, it's not in there. Um, I feel like, I don't know, I get the feeling of someone who is, you know, very into what they're into in terms of the science, in terms of, you know, tinkering on things and building things and someone who, who grew up enjoying inventing stuff, Mm -hmm. but that also kind of, what's the right way to put it? That, that, that kind of, um, 
that kind of personality, um, it's, it flutters. I, it's, it's, you know, you're focused on one thing for a while and all of a sudden you get a new idea and that thing gets put aside and you start working on this other thing and, and you may get distracted and go off and work on another thing. And at the same time, there's probably bills to be paid and stuff to be done that isn't being paid attention to. Um, because between that, uh, autobiography and a, an admittedly really old site, um, but had a really, really good timeline of things. And I'll make sure this is in the show notes because it's, it's, it's worth a look. Um, there were a lot of instances of like borrowing money and paying back a mere fraction of it. And I don't know that it was necessarily like trying to explicitly scam people out of money. It may simply be, I'm thinking about all these other things that I'm not thinking about the mundane things that need to be taken care of. Right. Could be totally wrong on that. Could be totally wrong on that. But I, I don't get this grifter vibe mm. off Lazar. Yeah, there's there's definitely I think I know the website you're talking about I think is a website put together by a guy named Tom Mahood. He's a civil yes. engineer from Orange County. It's a fascinating website that you know, I really got to tip my hat to him because he basically tried to track down every publicly available document and government record you could find about Bob, um, uh, uh, court cases for um, bankruptcy hearing, marriage records, divorce records, things like that, um, yeah. high school transcripts or whatever. Um, really, really fascinating. I mean, it definitely sounds like Bob, at least in the 80s, um, at times really struggled financially um, and personally as well. I think his um, his first wife may have died tragically mm -hmm. um and then his second wife if, if the timeline's accurate it's very strange because apparently bob and his second wife married in one ceremony and then married again in a second ceremony but the wife used a completely different name during the second ceremony or something the, like that. that yeah that was a little weird and i'm i don't know i i don't feel like i'm in any sort of personal place to speculate on some of that um right you know i yeah it's Look, I'm just going to say it. Las Vegas is a weird place. <laughs> um, and, and I think it attracts weird people. Right. Um, it's a very, you know, if we want to talk about it, it's a very liminal place. You know, you mm -hmm. think of all the people who come in to gamble and pass through town and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I really, that I don't really know what to make of but it is yeah. unusual it's worth a read definitely um the the next thing that kind of aside from the zeta particularly two corporation the next thing about the bob lazar story that hits me in the face like a baseball bat and i just wish more people would would talk about it and i think a lot of people already do i don't want to sound like i'm breaking any new ground here uh, bob lazar's tax forms yeah. okay this is amazing this is great i mean supposedly if you believe bob he smuggled out some of this element 115 from from S4, um, and apparently one of the other few tangible pieces of evidence about his extraordinary career back engineering uh, alien spacecraft was his W-2 from the United States Department of Naval Intelligence. And there is a uh, there's a 1996 television documentary called Dreamland Area 51. Um, it features a clip where it shows the W-2, and what blows my mind and what, what, what really intrigues me is they do not black out Lazar's social security number. Now, I'm, Yikes. I'm, I don't think it's cool to, me to mention it publicly here on the pod, 
Um, it's definitely on YouTube for if anybody's that desperate to learn his social security number. Um, uh, in fact, there's a there's a great little clip maybe we can take a listen to. It's a guy named Bob Exler. He's a UFO researcher and former uh, NASA contractor talking a little bit about this W-2. So maybe you could take a quick listen. Yeah, yeah, here it is. I obtained a copy of his uh, what they call a W-2 form, which is one of the IRS documents associated with, uh, with pay. Uh, his particular form indicated that he worked for the U.S. Department of Naval Intelligence. Um, my investigation of this document and the claims that uh, Bob Lazar made uh, followed uh, a, a very strict path of uh, sound research. I contacted the U.S. Department of Naval Intelligence and indeed uh, verified that uh, they were likely responsible for presenting that W-2. Yeah, so what do you think about that, Seb? Well, I could definitely say that according to his W-2, he got paid about uh, just uh, just shy of $960 mm -hmm. uh, in that year for his, his work on UFOs. There's one unusual uh, government kind of number at the top of the form that ends with the letters M-A-J, which is super... Um, yeah. It, it, there, there, there's... Uh, um, for, for those... Of our listeners who may not be familiar, there's a huge thing within the UFO community. There's a theory amongst some people that there was a secret government cabal named Majestic 12 in charge of kind of researching UFOs and trolling information. And there's tons of things within the Bob Lazar story where MJ-12 kind of pops up. Um, yeah, and we talked about it a little bit on our Dulce episode, if I remember correctly. Totally. Um, supposedly, Bob Lazar's ID badge S4... Um, like said MJ-12 on it, I think, or something like that? Uh, it actually said MAJ. Oh, okay. Because because uh, because apparently his security uh, level clearance um, was uh, level majestic. Ah, okay. Now, gotcha. now I will, I will say this, having read his autobiography, and unless I completely missed something, he never actually gets the security clearance. Mm, interesting. Because um, I had it on Kindle, and I went, okay, hang on. Like, surely he's gotten his clearance by this point. Mm. Because there there is a point, and I'm sorry, I'm kind of jumping around here, but there is a point where in order to kind of better make sense of the um, power unit that he, um, uh, he and this other guy are working on, he's like, yeah. we, we need to see it, like, in the craft. We need to see how it fits together. Mm -hmm. And... Um, Eventually, you know, he convinces uh, Dennis and the people above him to go, okay, sure. You know, we'll let you crawl through the craft mm -hmm. and we'll we'll do a quick little test flight so you can see it. And, you know, that'll that'll satisfy your your request here of, of trying to see how these things work together. Um, and I and I literally I searched through the whole book um I think I think I searched specifically security because this is security clearance we're trying to get here, uh -huh. and every instance where security clearance is mentioned in that autobiography is that you know he's still waiting for it or oh because uh -huh. this thing is happening in my life you know it's delaying the security clearance and I'm like wait a second wait a second wait a second you let him cr taking it at face value yeah. you guys let him crawl through a legit alien craft right watched him you let him watch it fly mm -hmm. you know th however high up it was 30 40 50 100 feet up or whatever um 
and he didn't officially have a security clearance yet. Right, right. It's like it's like it, it's like putting somebody in the cockpit of an airplane and they haven't even started their their flight training yet. It's like right, or they just you know unpacked you know the Microsoft flight simulator. <laughs> um, it, th- that just that stuck out to me as being mm-hmm. really weird. So either this is how I'm trying to rationalize it in my head. Either at that point they were confident the security clearance was going to come through, which means that they hadn't found out about this affair that his wife was having um, nope. yet. Yeah. Spoilers. Um, or, or, or there's just something amiss, like, like, like something is just made up here. Right. Right. Um, and I'm just not sure what to make of that yet. I've got some more thoughts, but Seb, get back to what you were talking about. Well, well, no, yet. Yeah. I mean, just just to just to remark upon your point. I mean, one of the thoughts I've had, and this was a thought I've had years ago, was maybe the craft he saw was had nothing to do with aliens. It was it had all the flight characteristics he described correctly, like you know, silent levitation and whatnot. Um, but it was invented by humans. And then what happened was one of my theories was okay, the government invents this craft. Um, let's 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 install seats inside of it that are really really small, so obviously it makes it look like it's for a non-human type entity to sit in. Let's bring in this wacko into this area to show him this stuff, knowing that he's going to go out and blab about it, so that it promotes the idea that these craft are not invented by humans, so that. It tries to encourage foreign governments not to duplicate our technology that we've discovered because it's so advanced that it not only is a super powerful offensive weapon, but it would be very difficult to defend against if, like, the Soviets. That was one of the weird convoluted, like, conspiracy theories that, like, formed in my head, like, at 3 in the morning when I was in college, (laughs) my college drawing room watching this crap. Yeah. Going back to the Lazar tax forms, here's the thing that blows me away. I, I don't feel like I'm breaking any new ground in tonight's episode, except for this one thing. I've never heard what I'm about to say anywhere in any sort of Bob Lazar arguments, but maybe it has been, but as far as I know, it hasn't. I don't understand why people cannot use his social security number to and tax forms to try to answer and settle some of the debates about his employment. Because, uh, just as backstory, Bob claims to have been employed in the early 80s at Los Alamos National Laboratory in New Mexico, working on classified stuff. Some people say that's hogwash because Los Alamos, Los Alamos claims not to have any records on him. His proponents say, wait a second, his name appears in a Los Alamos employee phone book, and also there's a article in a Los Alamos area newspaper that says he was a physicist working at the, at the laboratory. Mm-hmm. So so the, we got these two, like, I mean, it's hard to see how both sides could be right. One side probably either has to be right or wrong. You know what I mean? It's mutually yeah. exclusive. However, according to, and this blows my mind, according to the website of the United States Social Security Administration, they, quote, can give you copies or printouts of your W-2s for any year from 1978 to the present for the $90 per request. And for the life of me, I don't understand how people like, you know, the television reporter who first uh, Lazar, George Knapp, or other people yep. haven't requested copies of Lazar's old W-2s going back to the 70s. It seems to me that that would, could, maybe, potentially shed light on this huge issue that people argue about over and over incessantly. And in fact, if I wasn't, you know, the good upstanding law-abiding citizen that, that I am, I probably, it would have been really fun to actually, you know, send off the forms and, a, and, and maybe a money order and see what I would get back and like maybe open the documents here live on the show, you know? I mean, it would have been great podcast uh, 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 material, but probably not necessarily the most legal thing to do. Um, <laughs> probably not the most ethical. Right, exactly. But it just... Yeah, because I'm, 
I mean, I'm looking at this Lazar timeline uh, site, mm. and okay, 1982, listing in Los Alamos National Laboratory phone book, located by George Knapp. Now, one of the things that it says is that the listing after Bob's name clearly shows K slash M, which means Kirk Meyer. Mm-hmm. Proves that he didn't work specifically for Los Alamos National Lab, but for a subcontractor. Right. I think it might have been they did something with photography, maybe. Possibly because he did. Yeah, yeah I, Lazar did have his own film processing mm-hmm. company for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I mean, yes, he may have worked at the facility. Mm-hmm. Did he work for the facility? I mean, that's, you know, that's kind of getting into semantics mm-hmm. there. You know, was was he a physicist there? Was he just a technician? That, you know, that again, that that's kind of getting into that mincing of like, okay, you know, one person says one thing, but it's like, okay, yes, but do you mean did he work for or did he work at? Mm-hmm. You know, and that that just, I don't know. It leads to lots of arguments <laughs> between ufologists. Well, no, quite honestly, you're you're completely right because it's it's so weird how because I mean if you listen to the Bob Lazar story and if you take it at face value, the way that his story goes is that he was able to kind of finagle um, a job at Area 51 or S4 uh, by reaching out to eminent, world famous physicist and father of the hydrogen bomb bomb, Dr. Edward Teller. Mm-hmm. And and what's crazy is this one bizarre newspaper article from the early 80s that talks about it's basically a profile of Lazar and his hobby with rocket cars and stuff yeah um, this one article about Bob Lazar in the very same issue of that paper there's an article about how uh, Dr. Teller will be speaking at Los Alamos like the next day or something like that yeah which is just it, it's amazing because it's like you know at first you're like oh I can't believe any of this and then you're like wait a second it's like they were both at the same place at the same time it's possible that they could have you know met and struck up a conversation or something like that some something like that where you know years later Bob could have been like hey Dr. Teller write him a letter hey you remember me I'm the guy with the weird rocket car you know I'm interested and in, you know you know could you give me like a letter of recommendation or something mm-hmm. like that you know right 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 um, right, it, right. It, it's it's the kind of thing that happens over and over again with Lazar's story where it's like, you sort of don't believe it, but then you get these weird little synchronicities that are just like, hmm, it's like, I don't know, there's something there, you know? Yeah, the, the way that I put it in, in my part of the notes is what gets me about Lazar's story is that there's just enough there to be believable yeah. and just enough there to cast doubt on everything. Right, right. And it's, and it, and it's really problematic because I, I, I mean, I think with any episode that we record, I, I want to sit down and be like, okay, let's look at this. You know, what's the likelihood that this actually happened? And, and, and the Lazar story is, is one that I, I feel like it really kind of walks the fence and it's not mm-hmm. not falling onto one side or the other for me mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um uh, th- there's um the the third thing i wanted to talk about tonight that i wish some of these cheesy documentaries delved more into is the exact same scenario it's the it's the thing where it's like i think i'm at the cusp of saying i don't believe anymore and then something just tweaks it just a little bit just enough so i be like okay i might believe and it drives you crazy and this third thing i want to talk about so so far we've talked about a business filing we've talked about tax form the third thing nuclear tests nuclear tests so according to lazar the whole reason why he even started working at s4 in december of 1988 was that he was hired to replace some scientists who according to lazar 
died in April or May 1987 during an explosion which occurred when they cut into a UFO's reactor trying to figure out how it worked. Mm -hmm. Lazar claims that the explosion was so large and so powerful that it had to be passed off as an unannounced underground nuclear test at the Nevada test site. So this is something that he's he said on several occasions. And it's the kind of thing where I'm like, when I hear that, in my mind I'm thinking, okay, you know, why doesn't the documentary then go into saying whether or not there's any evidence to back up, were there any sort of reports that there was an explosion of this magnitude or size? Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting. Uh, according to some of the research I did for tonight's show, uh, in 1993, there was a U.S. Department of Energy report which revealed details about secret nuclear explosion. Um, and according to the report, there were no unannounced nuclear tests between October 1986 and July 1988 in Nevada. Hmm. Which is okay. interesting because according to Lazar, remember, this big explosion happened in April or May 87. Mm -hmm. So, so I, I, I read that and I think, okay, that's one check mark against Lazar, right? And then... I found a website by that Tom Mahu gentleman we, we talked yeah. about earlier, the researcher. Yeah. He actually looked at some seismic records of the U.S. Geological Survey, and he claims that there was no unusual activity at the April-May 87 time period. So then it's like, okay, I've got that second chuck mark, and I'm like, okay, I'm really close to just being like, Bob Lazar's just full of hogwash, right? And then I stumble upon this crazy little thing, um, <laughs> just accidentally online. And it just, it, it's the thing that just pulls the rug out from under it. So, intriguingly, there was a 1994 report by the Natural Resources Defense Council. And what they did, it's fascinating, they compared the 1990 Department of Energy list of these nuclear tests mm -hmm. with seismic records. Okay. So, there were, this 1993 report, check this out, they revealed 204 secret nuclear tests all occurred at the nevada test site over there mm -hmm. now only 111 of them had previously been known to like researchers and nuclear watchdogs via seismic and other data um and uh, sometimes there was you know a seismograph would would shake sometimes there were like um whistleblowers who let the media know what was going on basically right so, so we got 204 secret tests 111 of them 111 of them were known about before the big report comes out in 19, right? Now, in some cases, the government carried out secret nuclear tests simultaneously with publicly announced... Um, so you'd have two bombs going off in Nevada at the exact same time, which would fool the seismographs. Oh, okay. But if you subtract those, there were still almost 50 nuclear explosions, secret nuclear explosions in Nevada, which were not picked up by any seismographs in the western United States. And this report, this 1994 report, goes on to conclude that, quote, it is technically possible to conduct very small nuclear explosions that remain undetected by the current public seismological network unquote <laughs> and i read this thing this little throwaway line and it's like god damn it it's like now it's like <laughs> bob's story might be possible again you know yep. there, there could have been a huge explosion passed off as this nuclear test which wasn't picked up by seismographs so it could have still happened in that may or april 87 timeline and it just it's like that thing it's like he's back in the he's back in the game you know just enough to be believable uh, and just enough to cast doubt on everything how much how much how how was symptomatic of it of, of of you know how much do you just know it's a government effort when when the people trying to figure out how the reactor of the ufo works decide let's just cut it open <laughs> you know what i mean it's like well <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, because reading reading his biography, he describes, um, you know, how it looks, mm. and it's it's very smooth. Mm-hmm. It's very um, compact. Isn't it like a basketball cut in half? Like it's like a half dome. It, part part of it part of it is yeah this this half sphere. Half sphere, yeah. Um, but there there's another portion uh, to it, and it and it all looks just like it was. I don't know, like poured into a mold. Mm, right, right. Right. There's there's no buttons. There's no levers. There's no pistons. There's you know uh, um, nothing that a conventional human mind could look at. Like I can look at the engine in my VW bus mm-hmm. and understand what the parts are and what they do, even if I may not be able to fix them easily myself. Mm, mm. Um, but the way that he describes this power source, it it just it's all. It's all smooth, you know, and and there's nothing that obviously sticks out that says, oh, you know, push to start, (laughs) you know, they kind of they kind of figure out, oh, hey, yeah, if we put this on here, it's creating this gravitational, this localized gravitational field. They started like flinging ping pong balls at it. And it or not ping pong balls, but golf balls. I'm sorry. Um, and they they'd hit it'll hit that gravitational thing and just launch him up into the ceiling. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can kind of get why you know somebody may have the idea to cut into it <laughs> because maybe this is maybe this is just a casing <laughs> and the parts are inside it. Like I'm not saying it was smart. No, no. I'm not saying it's smart by any means. <laughs> You know, but I can understand why somebody would think, okay, there's clearly, I mean, basically what they theorize mm-hmm. as, as Lazar is describing it in the book is what, what they're theorizing is that there is effectively a, a miniaturized particle accelerator mm. in part of this thing. And in order to produce the amount of power that it's capable of, there has to be a, a miniaturized particle accelerator in there. Um, and good news is they never cut it open to try and find out. Um, but it, um, so I, I, I've got a bunch of observations yes. and thoughts yes. that I've, I've made as well. Um, and, and I may jump around a little bit in this, but, but one of the first things I want to talk about is, well, I mean, let me talk in broad strokes yeah. first, because I feel like we have to remember that like 30 odd years ago, Bob and George Knapp weren't super tight. Mm. Um, ufology itself was far less mainstream than it is now. Um, and, and, you know, Knapp being a journalist, I mean, he did research to determine if Bob was legit or not. Like, would he have even run the story if it wasn't, if it could have been easily debunked? Like, I don't think a journalist wants their reputation trashed if they're like, oh, this is a great story. It'll get a lot of people watching, but... It is also a bunch of hogwash, like like a, a good journalist. Mm. <laughs> and I think 30 years ago, we had better journalists than we have now uh. on the whole, um, you know, wouldn't have done that. So so I try to weigh that in with stuff when I think about this. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, an- another one of those things that, that makes me kind of, you know, lean toward like, you know, Bob's mostly telling the truth is that he's, he states multiple times in, in, in everything that I've read and listened to that the reality or unreality of extraterrestrial life doesn't interest him. He's just, he's like, I don't care. It's the tech. Yeah. I'm interested in the technology. Now this is unlike most UFO people that we oh, yeah. hear about oh, in popular sure. culture, right? Everybody else is like, oh yeah, you know, the Venusians have taught me how to 
you know, love my neighbor and we should all practice communism or whatever. Um, or it, it's all about alien life and and what they want for humanity or how we're wrecking the planet. And for Bob, it's like, I don't care if there's aliens. I mean, look how big the universe is. There's probably aliens. You know, he's like, I want to figure out how this thing works. Right, right. I want to I want to put it in a, a Honda Civic and see how fast I can make it go <laughs> or something, right? Um so yeah, that 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 just strikes me because that's unlike um really anyone else that we hear about uh in UFO tales. One thing that really jumps out at me is and and again, taking it at face value that he did see an honest to goodness craft oh. test flown. Now I've got I've got the the counterpoint to this in a second. Um but running just on, you know, we'll call it low power mode. Yeah. Right? Not zooming through the the vast reaches of space mode. Mm-hmm. Um, is that when it flew it, it wobbled a little. Mm-hmm. It was a little little unsteady. Mm-hmm. Um and and I think in one interview he says that, you know, a a a Harrier jet, which has a vertical takeoff and landing, was more stable hovering than the saucer was. I, I, and 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 I think that 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 actually jives with a lot of descriptions of other UFO sightings because we 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 hear stories about oh yeah this craft flew in and it was kind of wiggling mm-hmm. you know it's kind of wobbling back and forth. I've read multiple different you know UFO books, seen different documentaries where different witnesses at different places in different years you know report these encounters. And you're right, one of the things that in many instances, at least in my mind, pops up as a commonality is this weird, really presumably counterintuitive wobbling of the craft, mm-hmm. which which maybe, you know, assuming that we take of it all at face value, may be related to something like, you know, when it's, you know, it's great with zooming across the galaxy, but it's when it's hovering a few feet off the ground, there's some sort of issue with gravity that makes it wobble or something like that. But it's a, it's a weird, it's a weird trait that really makes, at least makes me stop and think like you know this that's such a weird commonality that there's got to be something going on there and the fact that he mentions it too is is interesting as well you know it's that that little whiff of you know whenever i hear a story and there's like that kind of detail i my ears pick up and i'm like ooh, you know i've heard that before right, right yeah yeah definitely and and that's that's one of those things that um I mean, it it would be easy for someone to just be like, well, you know, he probably read some of those accounts. And so, you know, he made it up to uh. to say that. And it's like, I mean, look, I mean, I, I, I can't say one way or another. I wasn't there. I, I haven't personally seen a craft do that. Um, but kind of in in this this is going to lead into kind of like the flip side of the coin uh here but like he always stays really calm like he's like like i was saying earlier he's very careful to like split the appropriate hairs when necessary like he doesn't want to overstate things uh or overstate experiences he's had right because it's it's kind of almost the antithesis of people who've had an experience and kind of inflated over time or in really severe cases like make up other experiences because you know they like the attention they got after the after that first experience yeah um he he even speculated at one point i think i think it was in a radio interview he was doing because there's there's this talk that you know he he may have seen like gone past a room and there was a gray oh yeah 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 right yeah so there there's a point where he even 
thinks that that may have been staged for his uh for his benefit oh really interesting yeah yeah the only thing i remember about that was i think at one point he was very like he he admits the fact that he saw this but he he was very upfront like well maybe maybe it was like a, a mannequin that the government put together because they're trying to figure out you know what was it would have been small enough to fit in these chairs you know that kind right of thing. right um, but that's interesting. I didn't realize that there was a possibility, or he claimed that maybe staged for his benefit, I guess. It was, I mean, it, it was one of those interviews where, you know, callers call in and they ask about stuff. And, and so he was just kind of talking about it. And he's like, he's like I, you know, I, I don't know. You know, he's like, it, it was, it was brief. It was short. Mm. And I, and I think possibly just through his experiences and the paranoia that you know has been generated from those experiences he may be looking back on it and going you know maybe it was staged like Mm -hmm. maybe it was it was kind of a um a bit of disinformation kind of kind of plugged in there to see if that would get out because i mean that's a big deal it's like holy crap they got a gray right um but but here's 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 where i'm going with part of this back in our dulce episode i kind of came up with this kind of speculation like maybe and like if there is look at the country let's say there's an entire network of disinformation agents across the country right for simplicity's sake let's say that there's one in every state right that just keeps the shape simple right and together they've either come up with or been given this grand narrative right um of like here's this overarching story like i'm almost turning them into screenwriters here in my mind right so here's this grand story and and each regional one right so the one in new mexico right that's rick Doty, right right and he's got his his local piece of the story so if he interacts with people in new mexico He's like, oh, here's these little things I can sprinkle in, into your mind, right? In terms of disinformation, right? So, so let's say there's one in California and they've got their own, you know, stuff that they can sprinkle that's local to California. So here's Nevada, uh-huh. right? And 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 you know, I mean, heck, seventy percent of Nevada is government-owned land. I mean, it's 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 amazing for a place that's that's you know loves using the song don't fence me in how much of the state is government owned yeah and probably has fences um so so my thought is that um um this nevada part of the disinformation like grand story involves all of this uh-huh. right the crafts the fact that oh we've got nine of them oh some have been them have been here for thousands of years um and 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 all of that and and so it it kind of turns lazar into um you know nevada's version of benowitz yeah i think i think you might be onto something i mean if if our listeners remember the episode we did about Dulce, the Dulce base in New Mexico. I mean, there, there were accounts that um, Doty provided um, maps showing Area 51 in the early 80s, year, years before Lazar shows up on the scene, that sort of, you know, identified spots in Area 51 called Saucer Mesa and S4, stuff mm-hmm. like that. So, yeah, if if, if you, um, you know, and then, of course, that, that you know, it, can, it becomes that circular argument is... Is Doty slipping out some real information amongst the fake information about MJ-12? The real information, the real nuggets being the fact that, you know, yeah, there is a place where the saucers are being tested in Area 51. Or is it all hogwash? Is is Lazar 
just an extension, either willingly or unwillingly, of the kind of doty uh, UFO mythology, kind of trying to put it out there that, you know, these craft are extraterrestrial. And if, I, 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 have a huge, I have a huge sympathy for the idea that all of these craft are, you know, U.S. government craft invented purely homegrown by good-blooded, red-blooded Americans. Um, and then they're just so advanced that um, by trying to convey the idea that this was technology obtained from aliens, um, I, I, you know, I think that the government would have a vested interest in trying to convince other governments that, yeah, we do have these craft, but we don't know how they got here. We don't know how we could, we couldn't make mm-hmm. a new one if we wanted to. Mm-hmm. So you guys shouldn't try to make this yourself because we don't even know how to do it you're not going to be able to make it work um you know what i mean i, I mean yeah. I, I don't know no, if that's, I, yeah it, it there, there there's a logic to that like like that's yeah. that's that's believable that a government would want to put have put that story out not for the purpose of you know making its own public happy but but getting word to other governments yeah I to, mean, to spin this narrative it, it totally makes sense i can totally see that being plausible yeah yeah it has an internal logic i mean ultimately my 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 wish my inner heart wishes that all of lazar's story is true because i think Mm -hmm. if it was true i think it answers many of the unanswerable questions about ufos where they come from how they work what they look like on the inside that the government knows more than they're telling personally i would feel i don't think that people would panic if they knew the truth about UFOs. Personally, I'd feel safer knowing that the pilots who fly us around aren't prone to hallucinations. You know what I'm saying? I think that's the scarier scenario, that they're hallucinating rather than they're just seeing real things out there, you know? I mean, that's that's what I hope in my inner heart is true, you know? No, I completely agree. I mean, I mean, Lazar still strikes me as a believable person. I, he's not sensationalizing anything. He's not speculating on stuff he doesn't know about. He's not mm-hmm. claiming that he suddenly met with aliens or got a tour of the solar system. Yeah. You know, or went to some planet full of nudists because, you know, Lord knows we've heard those stories. <laughs> it's just, you know, I worked here. I worked on this. I got paranoid. I went public, mm-hmm. you know, and, and even with the disinfo, I mean, like... That wasn't a UFO, but uh, UFOs are much quieter <laughs> than much, that man's motorcycle. Right. But it's but it is our monthly motorcycle uh, uh, <laughs> interruption. I feel like this is a regular thing. Oh yes. Um, it, but what if? I mean, what if it is mostly disinfo? But what if it actually was an honest to goodness craft? But with all the other disinfo in there, it was kind of lumped in there to kind of discredit. I don't know. I mean, it's just. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. There's so many. Uh, so many ways you could organize the pieces and go okay it's this and then you kind of reorganize it a little bit and you go like but it could just as easily be this you know it's crazy it's like imagine imagine if lazar never came public right never came forward yeah can you imagine how our pop culture would be so different because area 51 i'm convinced wouldn't be a household name if he hadn't stepped up you know what i'm saying like very possibly yeah i mean i mean i I, if i recall correctly i think that area 51 is is talked a lot about in other sources like i think um what was that guy's name francis gary powers i think he wrote an autobiography um once he retired from the military Mm -hmm. and he talked about area 51 and stuff so i don't want to say that bob was the first you know person to talk about it but I really feel that, like, um, I don't know. There was just something special about the late 80s. He shows up. He talks about Area 51 and aliens. And, I mean, would 
would the X-Files have existed, or at least existed <laughs> in the form that it did exist without Bob Lazar coming forward and telling yeah. the story? You know right. what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's crazy when you think about it that way. Like, his impact on pop culture is undeniable. I think. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, I will... Um, I will, I will leave my thoughts on this with, with, with a question that I will throw out there. Mm. Um, and, and maybe the answer's out there and, and I've just missed it in my own research. Um, but whether you believe his story, whether you don't, I'm, Mm. I'm curious, has anyone tried to verify the other people on the phone book page Mm. that Bob appears on from the Los Alamos lab? Now, how do we know that that page itself is legit? Could it? Could it itself be a piece of disinformation trying to say, yes, he was here. Here's a little crumb to try and make this seem more. I don't know. Uh I mean, it's one thing to say, oh, yeah, here's what I found. Well, that's 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 great. But what's your source? Did did you go to Los Alamos and, you know, into their archives? I don't know. No, it's it's a good point. I know for sure I've seen some television documentaries where they show like a screenshot of that page of the Mm -hmm. phone book. Mm -hmm. I mean, presumably you could find a, um, I guess, Albuquerque. Um, Presumably you could find a circa 1983 um, telephone directory, like just the white pages, the general white pages for Albuquerque for that year and see if any of the names match up, you know, to see if there really were people in that community living there at that time with those names, you know? Yeah, potentially. I mean, I I don't, I don't know any of the, any of the other names on it off the top of, my head yeah you know they may all be incredibly common names right that's that's true too yeah you know there's always that but if there's at least one kind of like really unique name then yeah yeah i mean maybe you can kind of just corroborate it or disprove it right um i'm not trying to say one way or the other but but it goes back to you know what you were talking about in the first half of the show of you know here are these things that, that i haven't really seen anyone else talk about yet yeah. Like, or, why, why haven't these been talked about? Right. Or at least I would hope that I, I, I just there's so many times I watch Bob Lazar on these shows where I'm into it. I'm listening to what they're saying. And then they they don't you know, they go to the commercial break and I'm like, OK, when they come back from the commercial break, I really hope they talk about X, Y or Z. And then they move on to something else. And I just I get so it grit my teeth and I'm just like, yeah. why didn't you talk? Why didn't you investigate this? Little yeah, bit? it just um, it just drives me crazy. Um I mean, earlier in tonight's episode, you definitely asked, you know, what what I believe then and what I believe like after doing. Yeah, thank you. I wanted to get back to that. Yes. And and I I think and here's what I believe, like as of right now, but five minutes in the future, I might believe something totally different. (laughs) But but here's what I here's what I think. Here's what I think happened. Um, Earlier, we mentioned the the website and the research put together by that gentleman, Tom LaHood. A lot of interesting material about Lazar on his website. He has his own theory, which I have a it's interesting, but I have a slight tweak on it. That's, I guess, my own theory. Okay. so so Mahood suggests that the lights guy that Lazar and his friends witnessed weren't actually a physical craft, but was actually a glowing ball of plasma caused by dumping a high-energy proton in the atmosphere. And Mahood speculates that this might have been government experiment relating radar measures, countermeasures, radar spoofing, or perhaps even something more serious that violated some provision of international weapons treaties that the U.S. had signed. Okay. Um, which would make these experiments not only have to be classified, but classified in perpetuity, I guess. Okay. So, so 
Lazar or Mahut suggests that Lazar Lazar actually did work out there and did know about these tests and did know the night the nights that they would be visible in the time. But he suggests that once and of course according to Bob's story, on one occasion when he, he and his friends went out there, I guess all the security guards kind of you know caught them all and sort yep. of, they sort of got in trouble basically. Yep, yep, that's talked about in the autobiography. Right. So Mahut suggests that when that that actually did occur, but Mahut suggests that Lazar at that point made up the UFO part of the tale in order to somehow avoid some sort of criminal process from the government for having you know led people out to see these lights. I don't know. So here's, hmm. here's my theory. I, I have a slight tweak to this idea. So maybe the lights in the sky were the high energy proton beams causing glowing plasma that, and it was some sort of government experiment that was actually like violating some sort of international, you know, arms treaty or something. Right, right, right. But maybe Lazar actually um, was somehow employed by the government as one of the disinformation who went public and started saying, hey, all these lights in the sky, it's a UFO. And I know it's a UFO because I worked on it. I saw it. I was out there. This is what it looked like. This is what planet they come. And in that scenario, everybody wins. The government doesn't get dinged for having these experiments, these treaty-violating experiments. And uh-huh. Lazar gets a career as a UFO celeb. Um, and, and the other thing is just, I, I, I just got to feel that there's a part of me that really feels strongly that if, if Lazar's story was 100% true at face value, like, part of me thinks the government would have and could have silenced him a long time ago. You know oh, sure, I mean? sure, yeah. So, I don't know if my theory is accurate or even if I'm going to believe it tomorrow, but it's just something that I just... <laughs> It, it, it wraps everything up in a night tidy bow, you know, um, and it doesn't necessarily discount the UFO phenomenon as a whole either, you know? No, no. Um, so I don't know, but that's just, that's where I am right now. But um, that is interesting because it, it would kind of account for, okay, here's, here's something they're doing way off secretive off in the desert, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and it would, yeah, I mean, it kind of would account for stuff like where, where I'm coming from, where I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm still in the, I want to believe camp because, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I'm still taking it at face value that, you know, he got to climb all through and over, you know, the, the, the sports model Mm -hmm. that then became, you know, the tester model that I had oh, when did... I was a teenager. Oh, that's right. You did have one of those. Totally had it. I oh, don't have it anymore, and it no. kills me. Oh. I see them on eBay, and they're not cheap. And I was like, oh. Oh, not only that, but there, some company came out with a model, a small model airplane that's the one of the Janet airliners that would ferry the employees out to Area 51. Oh, shut up. Oh, oh that my would gosh. be cool. Oh, it's so That would be so, so cool to have. It's so boss, yeah. Totally. Oh, my God. Love it, love it, oh. love it. I, I love this Janet craft. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. I Yeah, I, I was still on that kind of like, I, I mostly believe, mm-hmm. but again, it is... For me, it's it's one of those puzzles that you put the pieces together a certain way and you're like, this makes sense. And then you add that next piece in and you're like, this doesn't make sense anymore. Yeah. And I hate to say it, but yeah, yours kind of like, oh, what if he's the disinfo agent mm-hmm. and, and he's the man on the inside? And it's kind of like, well, that kind of makes some sense now. Maybe, maybe, yeah. It's, it, I mean, at the end of the day, it's so hard for me because... Um, if I saw, I've never seen, I honestly, I've never seen a UFO. I mean, at least in the sense that it was obviously some sort of exotic craft. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, if 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 I if if the craft that Bob Lazar described really exists and it showed up outside my apartment right now and I got into it and it flew me to the moon and back like within 30 minutes like even at that point even having had that experience part of me would still think okay this is amazing but this whole craft was invented solely with human technology and there are no aliens like for me to actually believe i would probably have to like actually shake hands with an alien you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like the president could come on television tomorrow night and say aliens are real ufos are real and even that live broadcast wouldn't 100 percent. i guess you know what i mean Yeah. yeah yeah I get you. I don't know. I want to believe. I want to believe. Exactly. Just like the poster says. Well, I tell you what. Every month, Seb's going to dig into the old-timey newspaper archives to honor the story of high strangeness. Now, Seb, what do we have this month? Right. So we got a real short one today. Um, It's an article from the Los Angeles Herald newspaper of August 25th, 1970. Spy scare takes hold in Pomona, California. Oh, boy. Just where the Pomona spot meets happen. (laughs) The article goes on to say... This time, it is a mystery airship. Citizens reported to Pomona Police Headquarters that they had seen red, blue, and yellow lights in the sky at night. The reports were that the lights maneuvered in the sky and appeared as if they might be signals from an airship. Police officers will investigate. It's a really, really, really brief article, but I think it's fascinating for a couple of reasons. Um, there had previously been a number of articles about people in Pomona um, getting kind of worked up about World War One hysteria and thinking they were seeing German spies around every bush and tree. Oh, okay. Uh, um, but I think it's fascinating because this article of Taken at Face Value is describing witnesses who see nocturnal lights, red, blue, and yellow lights that are kind of affixed to a flo- uh, an airborne structure, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, 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 and in almost any other context, probably post-1950, you know, somebody who would see these lights in the sky would, you know, potentially interpret them within the framework of, oh, that's a UFO, that's a a spacecraft. And here we have pretty much the same experience happening in 1970, and people's perceptions are not, oh, this is an alien spacecraft. Their perceptions are, oh, this is a German Zeppelin that's going to bomb us or bring spies over or something like this, you know? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And not not only that, it's described as a mystery airship, which is, you know, 20 years prior to this, we've, we've got, like, you know, two years of airship sightings. Right, exactly. So it's, I mean, it's a little bit of crossover into both Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. realms. Yeah. Huh, that's interesting, man. Yeah, it's a shorty but a goodie, so. No kidding. Well, we'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Folks, it is the end of 2021. Thank you for for joining us on this journey this year, kind of our, our first year of doing the show or yeah. almost to our anniversary. Um, we hope it's been a good year for you. Mm-hmm. You know, we hope, we hope the holiday season is good to you as well. Um, Merry Christmas, happy Hanukkah, um, Kwanzaa, blessed Kwanzaa and no blessed Yule, um, whatever it is you celebrate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's I'm tired. It's after 10 PM already. <laughs> it's been a long week. Um, whatever it is you celebrate. Um, I hope it is lovely for you. I hope you're able to spend it with loved ones. Um, I hope all your loved ones are with you. Um, and also thank you for, you know, making us part of your, uh, listening experience mm-hmm. every month. We, we really, really appreciate it. Um, and, and we've got lots more things to dive into, uh, coming in 2022. 
Um, next month is going to be fun. It's going to be looking at some uh, some predictions mm. uh, for the future, which is now the past, because mm. that is where we'll spend the rest of our lives. Um, I might I might put some feelers out uh, on the socials to try to get some some predictions from you, the viewers, mm. you, the listeners, as to uh, what we have to expect in the coming year. And make that part of the episode as well. But right now, that's it for this month. I want to thank you for joining us in this adventure into the weirdness that surrounds us every day. If you have an experience you want to share with us, or if you have questions, email us, please, at allnightgeeks at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at allnightgeeks. You can follow me at busbuddha 71 and you can follow Seb at Clan and McMuffin. Indeed. Please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever it is. Be sure to rate and review us as well. And just as importantly, share us with your friends. Word of mouth goes a long way to spread the love around, and we would appreciate it if you tell at least one friend about the podcast. want to always give massive thanks to the Ghoulies for letting us use Hot Rods from Outer Space from the album Midnight in America as our intro and outro music. Give them a follow on social media. Make sure to hit up uh, the Ghoulies Denver dot bandcamp dot com to buy their music uh and we've got merch that's up at shop.spreadshirt.com slash n-o-t-l-g that's right shirts buttons definitely stickers go check that out and thanks as always to kate the steam-powered mouse for doing the show's artwork um you know we talked about it before you know the giant transformer variant is rearing its uh, orson well-shaped head um, and we are still in a pandemic, so please, especially right now in, in the Christmas season, uh, support your local artists, support your local businesses, um, help them out first, um, because the struggle is real and it is still ongoing. But if you do want to throw a few bones our way, you can do that over at patreon.com slash N-O-T-L-G. Uh, a little bit goes a long way to help keep the lights on around here. Uh, so that is it for us this month. That is a it for us for 2021 uh we will catch you next month and next year and in the meantime get out go find something weird good night Like at least once a week they try to do an exorcism on the child so ho- oh my hopefully tonight's not the night